Welcome to another episode of High Energy Ballers. Today, I've got a very special guest. I've got Brad Blazer. Brad, welcome. How are you, man? I'm doing great, man. It's great to be here with you today, Eric. It's great to have you. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Brad is a author. He is a sales leader, and he's also a coach. And um, wanted to bring him here today. He's got an extremely impressive background, and um, you know a lot of people that I've already brought on. People have learned a lot from. Definitely going to learn a lot from Brad. So, um, Brad, why don't we start off just telling people a little bit about your background, kind of where you're from, and, and what you do. Yeah, no, I'd love to. You know, I grew up in, a, I guess what you would call kind of a traditional middle-class family. Uh, you know, my dad was an executive. He was a, a CPA, but also was highly educated. And so uh, he worked in the real estate industry, uh, mostly as a chief financial officer for a number of companies. My mom was primarily a housewife, a stay-at-home mom. And then as we all got older and kind of went out and got our wings, she went into the real estate business. But I knew just, I guess, at an early age uh, that I kind of had what you would call that entrepreneurial spirit, that entrepreneurial bug. You know, I was a kid that had a paper route, you know, had a lemonade stand. Uh, but at the age of 23, while I was actually in school uh, studying to be an architect, my life took a dramatic change. And uh, it was one for the better. I uh, responded to an ad in a local newspaper there in Austin, Texas. And I went to work for a small oil company, getting on the phone and really just, you know, pitching high net worth accredited investors. Uh, all of the work was done over the telephone, so people didn't know how old I was or anything like that, but really understood and got to learn uh, systems as it relates to the sales process, how to uncover need, how to overcome objections. And I became real proficient just working three hours a day, three days a week. Here I am, a college kid making almost $75,000. And so I said to myself, man, I wonder what I could do if I did this full time. Here I am only working nine hours a week and I'm making more money than most graduates if I put 40 hours in a week. And so uh, I just one day quit going to school, man. And I went to work full time. And one thing led to another and ultimately went to work for a second company. But unfortunately, the founders of the second company were a little bit less ethical than I was. And we uncovered a little bit of fraud and misrepresentation. And so I resigned and my investors turned to me and said, Brad, well, what are you gonna do, man? You know, And I just kind of sat back and said, I really don't know. And they said, why don't you do the same thing they were doing, but do it with some integrity? And I said, you know, it sounds great to me. I knew nothing at all about building or starting a company, but I had this network of investors. And so while most kids that age at 23 are just graduating, going out and getting their first job or so, I was actually catapulted into the seat as a CEO and founder of a small oil company. And I quickly surrounded myself with a team of people, you know, CPAs, accountants, salespeople. And over the course of about a decade, Eric, I built that company up into a million dollar company. We had, you know, 35 employees. We were drilling for oil and gas in Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana. And then of course, in the late 1980s, early 90s, due to the collapse in energy prices and changes in the tax law, I just kind of sat, took a look at the landscape that was out there and realized there was too much uncertainty. And uh, being a pretty smart guy, I said to myself, you know, I don't want to put a lot of the savings and a lot of the money that we made back into the company. So why don't I, over the course of a year, just slowly dissolve the company so that at some point we just really no longer exist. Uh, never had to file for bankruptcy. That really never entered my mind. I say I closed the business, did it the right way. And then I pivoted. I said, what's Brad's primary skill? What am I really good at? And what I realized is my primary skill was closing and really raising capital. And so I entered the financial services industry 
basically raising money and capital for people that needed that for their business, whether it be real estate developers or whether it be oil and gas companies. And in a career in sales, have closed over $2 billion with the B. And in addition to that, have also closed some of the largest transactions for multiple companies where I was literally the, the guy that brought in the largest sale in the history of the company. Uh, you know, U.S. Allianz, which is a global name. I think they're the first or second largest insurance company in the world. I closed the largest transaction in the history of that company, $11 million. And then I went on to work for other companies, $9 million, $7.5 million, $5 million. And I started to realize, you know, why, why, are, why are nobody else on the sales team closing these multi-million dollar deals? And it was really, I think, kind of a different mindset. It was understanding that a lot of salespeople, when they are confronting somebody of significant affluence, they almost feel as if they're not um, qualified or they feel that they're you know, talking up to a person that they're unworthy. And I just learned as an early person at 23 talking to you know, multi-million dollar investors, it's like, hey man, we're just, we're just equal people. You know, I got what, something you might be interested in. If you ain't, that's great, we'll be friends. But let me tell you about it. And so I very quickly learned that there's plenty of money out there if you're just willing to go out and ask for it. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. And one of the points you brought up is really interesting to me because so I had Coach Bird on this podcast a few days ago, and he was saying, you know, what helped him transition from where he was to now, where he is now is he realized he, he just had a primary, his primary yep. skill was re-engineering people to win in life overall. And you're right. saying, I had a primary skill to close. So was that something that, I mean, how, like, were you always like that or did you kind of learn from somebody to be able to become that type of closer? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly, when I went to work while I was in school for these oil companies, you know, the CEO or the person that I was working under, you know, provided scripts and sales training and how to close and how to isolate objections. Uh, that was just part of it. And it was really creating that mindset that there's a big difference between being a salesperson and being an actual closer. Uh, the salesperson is a selling flirt. You know, they're flirting all the time. They're great at talking, but they're not good at closing. And when they get an objection, a lot of times that salesperson will say, you know, Eric, that's a great question. I and mean, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to say some more information uh, and I'll follow up with you next week. How does that sound? And they, they, they avoid a confrontation in sales. When you get to the point where you're closing, you have to create what I call positive energy, right? With that prospect, it's positive tension. It's getting to the point where, man, the dude knows you're going to close. He knows you're going to come for the knockout punch. But you do it in such a way that um, you get to closure and you get the guy to actually commit. And so when I was in the oil business, of course, where there is the risk of drilling a dry hole so that the investor understands, you know, hey, dude, you could write a check and lose all your money. Um, that is a real concern for a lot of people. But at the same time, there were considerable tax benefits. There's, of course, the prospect of hitting a great well and, you know, making three five, six times your money back. And so the analogy I always gave to my salespeople is you remember when you were a youngster and you climbed the ladder to the high diving board at your neighborhood swimming pool and you walked out on the diving board the very first time, right? You get to the edge and you're looking down and you're like, oh man, that's a lot higher than I thought it was, man. Oh geez, and then you turn around and you realize, well, I can't go back that way because there's a long line of people up the ladder. <laughs> so you build up the courage and boom, you jump off. And after you realize you didn't kill yourself and you had a little bit of fun, you climb back up the ladder. And of course you continue and you repeat the process. Well, in investing in an oil well for the very first time, it's kind of like that. People are held back and all they just need is a little push. And I had this one prospect that was a retired doctor that I knew was worth millions of dollars, but for some reason he just wouldn't commit. 
And so one night when we were on the telephone, I was talking to him and I said, Dr. Schnack, it just takes two things, man, to invest in an oil well. And he said, what? And he said, it takes big old brass balls and lots of money. Which of the two don't you have? Now, as a 25-year-old kid saying that to a dude worth millions of dollars, I bit my tongue and I said to myself, I don't realize it just came out of my mouth. But after, you know, what seemed like an eternity, because in sales, they always say the first person that talks next loses the sale. I just shut up and I just waited. And it must've been about 30 to 45 seconds. And I could tell his mind was going. And he just came back with a question, Brad, tell me again, how much three units of your drilling program costs? And I said, go get your checkbook. Let's get you on board. And he became one of our best clients. But that's the difference between closing and saying, you know, I understand your concern. Let me let you think about it for a couple of days and I'll call you back next week to follow up. That's what a salesperson would have done. A closer closed. And so I learned how to handle those objections of how to create that, that positive tension. Now, was I rude? No. Was I inconsiderate? No. But that man that night was going to prove to me he had two things, right? Balls and money. And he did. But the funny thing is, by learning that at a young age, it served me well. And, you know, much like Coach Burtz will say, which is pray drive and having that hunger and seeing something in your mind or with your eyes and then having the desire and the perseverance to go chase it and to get it, is I learned that I had to go out and ask people for money. I learned that there's plenty of opportunity out there. What most people lack, Eric, is they lack the courage, right? They, they lack the conviction. And I believe that to be a good coach in life, a coach has to go through this cycle. There's so many people out there that are hanging shingles on their doors or trying to make a living as a coach that I believe really are not qualified. It's because they haven't gone through that transformation in their lives themselves. They, as coach said, or I say, haven't had that revelation. And I believe to be a great coach and literally transform people you have to have a cycle in life yourself. You have to go through a revelation, which is a big aha moment. Aha, I can do something that no other person can do. For coach, it's unleashing prey drive. It's understanding how to basically, uh, you know, create these little monsters, as he calls them. For me, it was really changing people's mindset that came to work for me in my oil company, teaching them how to become better salespeople. And I had one dude that literally came to work for me that was probably making fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 a year. And through my coaching and mentorship, he went on in the first year to make over $250,000. That was my aha moment. That was like, dude, Brad Blazer can change people. And then as I started doing that for more people in my business, and then even after my business, where I've been the national sales director for multiple companies, I got more convicted. The conviction started building up in my personal life. And I said to myself, dude, Brad Blazer knows how to change people. Brad Blazer knows how to coach people. Brad Blazer knows how to get people to change their habits because a change in habits will ultimately reinforce a new belief. And once your beliefs change, that's what moves you in the direction of greater success. Yeah, for sure. And a few things you mentioned there were courage and conviction. So a lot of people there that I noticed, they lack confidence. A lot of people yep. don't have the courage or the conviction, like you said. So for somebody who's listening to this and they're like, well, shit, I want courage and conviction, but I don't really know where to find it or I'm just kind of lost in it. What would you say, you know, the best way for somebody to gain confidence or courage or conviction would be to do? Well, I mean, that really gets back to what I call limiting beliefs and self-doubt. And uh, in my first book, which we wrote called On the Wings of Eagles, Learning to Soar in Life, what I do is I share some of the secrets from some of the big thought leaders that I've had the pleasure of being around and just learning from people like Kevin O'Leary, 
people like Irving Magic Johnson, people like Joe Namath, people like George W. Bush, Rudy Rudiger. And so that book really unpacks kind of their habits, what made them successful. And one of the things that I learned is that in order to really build that courage, you have to create that muscle memory. You have to do something that builds that courage up over time. And part of what I teach in what we've trademarked as the art of beliefology, which is, you know, hey, if you change your beliefs and your habits, you can change your future, is that you can change your habits and beliefs, but the choice to do so is yours. And one of the easiest ways to build courage, and I'll give you an example here, is let's say that you've got that self-doubt or that limiting belief that says, man, I really have a fear of public speaking. I just don't like getting up on stages in front of people. Well, to overcome that, is if you can look back over the course of your life and just find one example, I call this a counter example, where you actually spoke to a group of people and got some positive feedback. Maybe it was from your boss or maybe it was from the people in the audience that came up to you after that event and said, you know, hey, Eric, man, you did a really great job. I really liked your delivery or I really liked what you talked about today. What that is is a counter example that actually disproves that self-doubt because now, what you can do is you can eliminate that fear and say, you know what, now that I look back, man, I actually did a really good job when I got up on stage and I actually delivered that message, even though it was five or six years ago. And so that allows you to build the courage to get back up because your mind is only capable of thinking on one thing at any given time. And so whenever you see that something negative is entering your mind, what you have to do is look at it like a weed. I call the mind a garden, right? There's either weeds or they're towering oaks. And so when you have that negativity or that self-doubt, realize that more than likely that is an untruth. It is something that's operating there in the subconscious because most of our limiting beliefs were actually given to us and put in our subconscious between the ages of seven and 12. And they're what I call untruths. They're not real. They're just subconscious weeds. And once you realize that, you can actually turn those situations around by using a counterexample. Another way to do it is what I call Stock thinking. Stock thinking is constantly telling yourself positive things or like affirmations. You know, I am capable of doing this or I am great at doing that. Because once you start what I call stock thinking and taking stock in yourself, you start building up your courage. I always tell people that enroll in my coaching program, take your level of fitness very seriously. Work out every day if you have the time to do so. And the reason is that if you become more fit, you become more confident, right? You look better, your clothes fit better, you start developing some muscles. And what does that do to your self-confidence? It increases your, your natural self-confidence because there's a tremendous connection, I believe, between the mind and the body. So if you're lacking self-confidence in the mind, but you're walking around with six packs and biceps, dude, I guarantee your self-confidence in the mind is only gonna go in one direction. When you walk into a room, people are like, dude, that guy's buff. <laughs> you can tell he takes pride in his body. Well that's just gonna give you more self-confidence. And so I think that really the way to overcome that, and there's a number of ways, is really just to understand that that lack of self-confidence comes from something that is operating at the subconscious level. And really what you have to recognize is that they're untruths. They're limiting beliefs that are holding you back from attaining greater success in life. And so you have to kind of make the decision as an individual as to where you are today do I want to become what I call the lifestyle architect and design a life of purpose and a life that has more promise? And the word I use to describe that is become a fulfilling heir. Don't just go after the money and the wealth, create a fulfilling life 
that you're really passionate about because once you do that, you wake up every day just full of excitement, chasing your dreams, chasing your goals, and that's what gives you energy. Yeah, and, and the limiting beliefs is, I mean, it's a real thing because I know most people that I grew up with, their parents just fed them the wrong information. I, luckily, myself, yeah. my parents kind of let me be. I was very independent, and that's kind of, that was easy for me to transition into, you know, being an entrepreneur, selling different products, basically being out there on my own. From a very young age, I, I noticed that I just had a drive. I had an ambition that I want. I knew I was going to do something big in the world. I always wanted to, uh, you know, go play Division One lacrosse and play mm -hmm. professionally. So that's what I set my mind to. And I was all. I always separated myself from everybody else. I always went out mm -hmm. and did my own thing. I don't know what it was. I guess I just. I guess I had enough common sense to realize that that's what I had to do at that moment to be able to get to where I needed to be. But for everybody else, they're kind of just stuck in with everybody, with everybody else. And they're all basically feeding each other limiting beliefs. The parents are there at the local neighborhood house, also feeding them limiting beliefs. And then they all just start to believe this. And one of the things that I, one of the, the one of my most favorite concepts that I've heard is from Brad Lee. He talks about, um, one of the most important things you need to learn is how to unlearn. Yeah. So, and, and that just, that, you know, that resonates with, I think a lot of people, but a lot of people just don't want to actually make the effort or they truly don't believe that they don't need to unlearn it. And so it's, yeah. it's, yeah. well, I mean, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. And, you know, you as an individual really have to look at where you are in life today. And, you know, I think that, one thing we all understand is that success is very different for everybody. You know, success for one person could be, I want more money. I want a bigger house and I have nothing against money and the accumulation of wealth for other people. Success could be, I just want to have a happy marriage and be a great dad. And so your definition of success has to be about you. It has to be personal. But I think one of the big challenges that a lot of people have, Eric, is they kind of are like corks just bonding around in the ocean. They're living a life that is reactive and they're living a life that is on the defensive. And the big reason for that is most people do not plan their life. They don't sit down and actually say, what do I want out of my life? How am I gonna achieve that? How can I become more successful? And uh, I wanna offer something to all of your listeners and all of your followers as a free gift, um, and that is my goal planning guide. Um, and the reason that I wanna offer this is that most people have not taken the time to do this. And it really is an instrumental part of getting to a better place in life, becoming uh, wealthier, accumulating more money. But Harvard University, one of the most preeminent universities uh, on the planet, did a study many years ago where they looked at an audience of thousands of people. And they asked that large audience of thousands of people, how many here have actually taken the time to write down your goals? Put them on paper. And what they found is it was only 3% of an audience of thousands of people, right? Now, there was about 13 or 14% that had some goals but they hadn't taken the time to write them down. And there's a big difference between goals that are written down and goals that are just floating around in your head because goals that are floating around in your head are nothing but dreams, right? And so what they did is they followed that group for a couple of years and then they got back to that same audience of people and they said, how much money have you made over that period of time? How much money do you have in the bank? How much wealth have you accumulated? And what they found is that 3% that had taken the time to write down their goals there out earned the other 97% 10x, not three times the money or even six, but 10 times the wealth in that 3% that literally took the time just to write down their goals. 
Now, the analogy that I always give to my coaching students, because my background in college was in architecture, is imagine if you were an architect and just one day an idea for a building pops into your head. And what you do is you take out your sketch pad and you make a little sketch of that. Well, you know, you might put that sketch aside in your office somewhere and not see that for months, maybe even years pass. And then one day when you're cleaning up your office, you see that little sketch and it reminds you of that building that you thought of. And what you can now do is sit down at your drafting table and create a set of blueprints. That's now putting the action behind that goal. And then you can take that blueprint, you can give it to a contractor, a builder, that can actually physically construct a real building that you can walk up to and touch. Now you've taken a conceptual thought, which was an idea for a building, you've turned it into something real. The same thing applies with goals. Once you can look at that goal and say, what do I need to do? Or who are the people I need to connect with? Or what things do I need to start doing to actually turn that into something real? You can focus on that. But without any action or without the commitment to do that, you're going to be one of those people that lives life on the defensive, right? And so I always tell people, what do big time people do on their weekends? They use the time, usually Saturday and part of the day Sunday, to restore, to rest, to exercise. But then big time people on Sundays usually disappear for a couple hours. And what they're doing is they're planning. They're looking at their calendar for the week. Monday, who am I calling? What follow-up do I need to make? What big ideas or events do I want to plan? And so if you look at a calendar for successful people, their days and their weeks are planned so that when they show up, they know exactly what they want to accomplish. There are priorities. Most people just show up at work and what do they do? They get a cup of coffee. They check their social media. They're like, oh, I got a bunch of emails here that I got to respond to. And then at the end of the day, you're like, man, how was your day? Whoo, so busy, man. God, I was a, what did you accomplish big today? Well, you know, I, I responded to a couple of emails and, um, you know, I did this. But at the end of the week, you look back and it's like, in reality, they haven't done anything compared to a big time person that says, I just closed a big deal and made, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars or I'm planning a big live event. I'm going to be on stage talking to 2000 people or, you know, I sold a big solar uh, panel job on a big mansion that, you know, it's going to be a big deal. And so you have to decide in life, do you want to live life on the defensive or do you want to plan and show up offensively and really get out of your life what you're capable of getting? I always tell people, you know, you're either a 12 cylinder Ferrari putting around on six or eight cylinders. And I think most people, if they sat back and really looked at themselves introvertly would say, yeah, you know what? There are other gears in me that just aren't being triggered. I know I'll get more. But the reason most people don't give more, Eric, is because we're creatures of habit. We're creatures of comfort, right? Coach Burt says, man, people retreat when things get tough. It's the lack of prey drive that he's so good at activating is if you've got a house and you've got a car and you're putting food on the table, why work harder? As I say, everyone wants to eat, but very few people want to hunt. Well, dude, if you want to be a multimillionaire, dude, you better start hunting because that's the only way you're going to get it unless you win the lottery. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I know you, you mentioned a few people that you attributed a lot of your success to as far as growth, personal growth. Who would you say is the one mentor that you've had in your life that has, has helped you change your life drastically and why? You know, there's been more than one. Um, and I want to just kind of mention two. Uh, the first one actually was very young. It was kind of like Coach Burt tells a story when he was a little kid playing Little League Baseball. Some little uh, coach looked at him and said, dude, someday you're going to be a great coach. And that was the vision. And of course, he stepped into that role. For me, it was actually a very wealthy uncle of mine. 
uh, my uncle Henry that was actually an orphan. He never had more than a sixth grade education. And uh, as a young boy, he was tasked with the responsibility of looking after his two sisters. And so as a young teenage boy, he went to work in New York City uh, in the textile mills. And his job was to deliver the large rolls of fabric from one seamstress to another. And one day he was just approached by an individual that had money and said, Henry, I really like you. You've got a great knack for quality of cloth. You can walk up to a bolt of fabric and just run it through your fingers to know if it's high quality. And what I'd like to do is partner with you or I bring the money and you bring the knowledge of the textile industry and let's do something big. And they created a women's fashion line called RK Fashions that went on to become literally one of the largest women's clothing companies in the world. And he made a fortune. He you know, invested in hotels and he at one point invested and owned part of the Palm Beach Country Club. And I remember as a very little boy, very impressionable, going down there for the holidays. And he walked me around as the holiday dinner was going on. And he said, see that man over there, Brad? That's the guy that puts those little erasers at the end of your pencils in school. Isn't that cool? See this guy over here, man? He's the guy that puts all the hangers in your closet. Now for a six-year-old kid, that's very impressionable. You're thinking, man, that's pretty cool stuff. But that's where I realized at a very young age that I wanted to do something big in my life. Now, the person that's probably affected me the most in the last few years, I would have to arguably say, has been Coach Michael Burt. Uh, Coach Burt's had a huge impact on me, and he knows that he's activated my prey drive because I got to a point in my career where I've been successful, made a lot of money, really didn't have to push myself, could have kind of semi-retired and just rested on my laurels. But he's activated something in me now where really – my message, and I think what's allowed me to now get on stages and write two books and have coaching clients in six countries is a hunger. And it's really a hunger about helping other people. Uh, you know, I've had so many people as a result of coronavirus that were enrolled in my coaching program that said, Brad, I've got to call you. And then they called me, so I've got to, I've got to stop my coaching with you. And I'm like, well, why? It's because I lost my job. I can't afford to make the monthly payments. I'm like, dude, you ain't quitting on me, dude. You're going to be enrolled in the program to get the full benefit of the coaching. I don't need your money. I'm going to waive the rest of the balance that you owe on your account. And they're like, what? You're going to do that for me? I'm like, absolutely. I don't need your money. I'm here to help. I'm here to add value. And I think sharing that message and don't let this get out to all my coaching students because then I'll go broke. <laughs> um, but it was really just an awakening that they're like, dude, you're definitely a coach. You're doing it because you want to help transform people. I said, yeah, I'm not in this to make the money. I want to lead with value. I want to help you become more successful because if you become more successful, that's a reflection on me. I can come back to you for a testimonial next year and say, Eric, would you be kind enough to record a little 60 second testimonial that says to people out there in the world, the benefit you got by being a beast and enrolling in my coaching program. So the best advertisement all Brad Blazer can get is if you stick this out for the next months, even though you ain't going to pay for it so that you get the full benefit of the coaching program. And I think that's really the difference. So I would have to say probably coach Michael Burt, who is definitely one of the best out there. Uh, and the reason I think that he's one of the best is that dude really knows how to activate people's prey drive but he also, through becoming a disciple of Covey, understands that we as humans are made up basically of four things, as Coach Burt says, your mind, your body, your soul, and your spirit. And as a coach, he knows how to uncover which one of those four, or if there's more than one, which one of those he needs to kind of be pushing on to activate you and to get you going and to get you to hustle, right? And once he understands what that little special button is, he just keeps pushing on it. <laughs> he keeps nudging you and he keeps coming after you until one day, man, you just wake up and you're just like alive. 
and, and you're out there and you're doing bigger things. And I mean, you know, Coach Burt will tell you, old Brad Blazer's not bashful about walking up to people or approaching people. When I told him that I was going to have Matthew Knowles at one of his Houston events, he's like, cool, man, that's awesome. And so the event started. We're all sitting around having drinks. Coach Burt's up there. And old Matt Knowles hadn't shown up yet. And about 15 minutes, of course, into the event, I see him walking by the window. And so I quickly get out and leave and I introduce myself and he comes in and old coach looks up and says, dude, man, and I thought I was going to be the celebrity superstar here at the event tonight. And of course, you know, it's the father to Beyonce and Solange Knowles and uh, the individual kind of responsible for one of the greatest uh, musical groups of all time, Destiny's Child. But we've created a great relationship now where out of that there's connection and coach and I and Matt Knowles are thinking about doing a full day intensive here in Houston. And I think one of the big things that I learned is you have to open up your network and your relationships to other people. A lot of people that have success try to hoard and protect their relationships. And I found that just the opposite is true. You want to connect people. You Eric, who can I connect you with that's in my network that can be on your podcast? You want Bobby Castro? You want Tim Story? You want Matt Knowles? I'll talk to all of them for you because if I'm helping you, I'm adding value. And that's really how you grow as a person. And that's really how you get to a better place in life, I believe. What you give out comes back to you in spades. Yeah, that's what it's all about. I've always been a huge believer in networking and connecting with as many people as possible. And the one, actually, to go back to Coach Burt, his, his concept, I like to, uh, he says, I like to connect my network to each other and let them feed. I don't know if he says it exactly like this, but yeah. it's like let them feed ideas off of each other and, and grow collectively because you're going to build an empire with yeah. a, with as many sharks as possible rather than less sharks. Right. Absolutely. It's, it's, it only makes sense. And I've, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm the same way. I've always liked to be able to lend a helping hand, like, dude, you should connect with this guy and, and see what you guys can do over here. You know, he's out in freaking Cali, you're in Florida, dude, he's got a team yeah. out there. Imagine if you guys, you know, expanded together yeah. and found a way to work together. And next thing you know, you're freaking nationwide. Like, yeah, exactly. And, and that's the, the thing that I think, you know, you have to understand as a follower or as a listener to this is, you know, you have to just make the decision that, you know, you want to increase the intensity of what you do daily. And increasing the intensity of what you do doesn't mean that you have to invest money in something. It just means you have to increase the intensity, whether that's more calls, more Zooms, more outreach, so that, you know, you're, you're increasing the intensity. I don't know if you've ever seen um, the video but one of the greatest videos I think of all time that really inspired me was uh, in 2014 when Matthew McConaughey, the actor, actually received the Academy Award. And he's up there on stage and he says, you know, there's three people here this evening that I'd actually like to thank tonight. Uh, he said, the first person I'd like to thank is the good Lord above, God. He said, I pray to God and he's graced my career. I've asked for, you know, what I've received, obviously being one of the best actors in Hollywood. The second person I want to thank is my beautiful wife, Camilla. Uh, Camelia, of course, has been behind me from day one, and of course, she's blessed me with a beautiful family. And there's a third person here that I'd like to thank as well. Now, I think most people, before he continued with the rest of the speech, probably thought he was going to thank someone like, uh, you know, Robert De Niro or, you know, Brad Pitt or, or, you know, Tom Cruise or Jack Nicholson. But actually, the third person he wanted to thank was a better version of himself in five years. And I just sat back when he said that. And he said, the third person I want to thank is a better version of myself in five years because I'm constantly chasing myself every day. I'm trying to become a better version of myself. I'm trying to become a better actor. 
And I think that's what's allowed me to evolve as an actor and to actually stand before you tonight. Uh, and of course, you know, thank you to the Academy. But I said to myself, man, isn't that what life's about? It's about being a better version of yourself every day. Uh, you know, and as somebody that's been an athlete myself, where I used to compete in triathlon and of course used to be an avid cyclist and swimmer and a, uh, and a runner, it's like you go out for a PR, right? It's like, okay, you know, last week I did my uh, seven mile run in whatever the time was. I'm going to go do that exact same run, but I want to shave two minutes off the run. It's a PR, it's a personal record. Mm -hmm. And so you're trying to improve. Well, if you can improve in fitness, why can't you improve in other aspects of your life? Why can't you improve in business? Why can't you improve with relationships, right? Why can't you improve in the quality of the friendships you have? And so if you take that approach that I always want to be improving myself in other areas of my life because I'm doing it over here in one area, I think actually what you're doing is you're sacrificing a better version of yourself where it gets back to that concept I mentioned earlier, become a fulfillionaire, become the lifestyle architect and really design a life where you're operating on all cylinders. You've got a great business, you're in good income, you get a great relationship with your spouse, your great dad, you're focusing on your fitness. Because if you only focus on one thing and you allow other areas of your life to not do well, ultimately what's gonna happen is you're just gonna sabotage. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's good. And uh, yeah, it's about, you know, hitting singles, small wins every single day is, is, is exactly. going to win long-term rather than just trying to hit the home run and being disappointed. Right. That's and um, so it's like, that kind of goes back to what you were talking about in the beginning. You know, what do big time people do? They're focused every single day, not just during the weekdays, <laughs> but also on the weekends. They're taking time to plan their week out. They're taking time for themselves and, um, and that over time compounds like, like compound interest, right? Yep. So um, I know you got to get rolling here soon, Brad, but the last question I had for you was, so there's a lot of people out there, probably one of the most frequently asked questions I get, you know, a lot of people that are in my age group uh, between mm -hmm. you know, 20 and 30 is, dude, I'm in sales. It looks like you're doing well for yourself. I'm doing this. I'm making some pretty good money, but I want to be able to escalate my game a lot higher. What is the, like, how can I get better at sales? So what would you tell the listeners or people who, you know, are trying to get better at sales? What would you say is a few things that they can work on to me start immediately closing deals, a lot more deals than they were as early as tomorrow? Well, there's really two things. Uh, and this gets back to the mindset. You know, my first book on the wings of eagles, learning to soar in life, which is on Amazon. When I published that book last year, I never in my wildest dreams thought it would have the success it's had. And it very quickly, actually, on a very large blog that's followed, uh, became the number one top-rated book for young entrepreneurs. But here's the funny thing about it, Eric. That book has nothing to do with starting a business. It has nothing to do with raising capital to start a business. That book really is all about creating the right mindset. And obviously, to be successful as an entrepreneur, you've got to have the right mindset, right? When I was in the oil business, there were many days where I'm like, dude, what am I doing this for? Dude, how am I going to make payroll next week? I mean, you know, you're, you're working long hours and the journey of an entrepreneur is a very lonely journey because what people see, it's kind of like the iceberg, right? People see the success of the entrepreneur, but they don't see all the hustle, the grind, the long hours, all of the grit, all of the worrying, all of the headaches, all of that crap that's below the surface. And so I tell people, you've got to deliver the right mindset. If you're between 20 and 30s, you've got to kind of take this attitude of, you know, a little chip on the shoulder, a little swag that, you know, I'm better than everybody else and show up to prove it. The other thing that I'll tell you is become a student of the business. 
learn closing techniques, learn some of these tricks that Bradley or myself or some other great sales trainers will teach you because nine out of 10 times when somebody gives you an objection in sales, they're not giving you an objection. They're giving you a smoke screen, right? They want to avoid the issue of actually making a decision. And so you have to learn these little techniques like the takeaway sale, which is a great takeaway close. You know, it's just basically saying to somebody, you know, that I'm not thinking about Eric, I really don't know what this is for you. And they're like, what do you mean it's not for me? Well, you know, I've been thinking about it and you made the comment earlier that it's too expensive and if it's too expensive, maybe you shouldn't do it. And what happens is they start turning the tables trying to prove to you why they want to do it <laughs> before you know what they're selling themselves. And so there's all these little tricks that we teach as sales closers, whether it's Bradley or myself in my 90 day closing school that I offer. The other thing that I'll tell you as well is coach Burt says this so well, are you a level 10 person stuck in a level four opportunity? And what he means by that and what I mean by that is you could be in a sales job and it don't matter how hard you work or how many hours you put in, you're never going to get to the point where you're making 300000 or $200,000 a year. Don't matter who you are or what you're doing. And the reason is the commissions that you're being paid on those small sales just ain't going to add up to get you to where you want to be. And so I tell people, get yourself in a 10 or 12 cylinder car, get yourself in a career where you can use the same sales skills you can use the same knowledge of closing skills, but now instead of making $500 or $1,000 commission on the sale, you're making five to $10,000 commissions on the sale, right? So for example, if you're a used car salesperson and you're working in an auto dealership in sales and the average commission you get is 500 to 1,000 bucks a car, dude, that's a lot of cars to get to where you're making $250,000 a year, which is why most used car salespeople don't make that kind of money. If you take those sales skills and you start selling homes, right? You become a real estate agent where now you're making $5,000, $10,000 a sale. I know a lot of real estate professionals that are making $200,000, $300,000 a year. Or you can go and sell uh, yachts if you live in a place like Florida or close to the coast where you're selling, you know, hundred, $200,000 yachts or planes or something that's a big ticket sale. So there's many ways that young people can make the kind of money in sales. It's just that you have to realize maybe you're in the wrong vehicle. Maybe you need to get in a better vehicle where you can make more using the same skills you already got. And then the other is really what I just say is up your game. Become a student of the business. It's mastery. It's becoming so good that when somebody throws an objection at you, man, you just sit back and smile with a big old smile on your face like Bradley or like I would do and say, I've been waiting for this. <laughs> and then you just go right for the knockout punch. I love that concept too. Are you in the right vehicle? Because actually I was on a cruise uh, that Coach Burt ran back in February. Um, and there was like Bradley, Cody Askins, Coach Burt, and, um, and a bunch of other people were there. Speaking. And Coach Burt, I remember, I'll never forget, he said that to me. He looked me, I was telling him kind of what I was doing. And he was mm -hmm. like, the only thing, he just looked at me and goes, do you feel like you're in the right vehicle? And it kind of just clicked to me. I was like, well, I've never thought about it that way, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're not in the right vehicle, then maybe you need to create the right vehicle, right? Maybe you're in sales like you are, you're selling solar and you realize I can't make $300,000 a year by myself. But if I get a couple of salespeople under me and I'm getting a little override on their efforts and I build myself a little team, then yeah, dude, I can easily get to that point. And so, you know, that's kind of what a lot of people in sales do is they figure out that if I can get a little override, and build a little machine under me, which is the reason that people go into real estate. It's so that after becoming successful as an agent, they can become a broker and get a bunch of agents under them where they get a nice little override. 
And then of course they get to the point where they're making a lot more money because they can build a very successful real estate brokerage firm. That's the beauty of sales. But it all starts like Bradley says with understanding that sales is where it all starts. I don't care if you're a dentist. I don't care if you're an attorney. I don't care if you're a CPA, you gotta sell your services. You gotta sell. That's where the explanation of service comes in on selling your services in a compelling way where you're using the law of attraction to attract business and opportunity to you. And if you know how to do that, you know how to do it well, dude, the world is your oyster. Yeah, and to that point too, uh, you know, I've been in a 1099 for a while, uh, just selling different products as an entrepreneur essentially. And I can tell you firsthand that there is a lot of vehicles out there that mm -hmm. are basically, you know, a level four opportunity as, as you would say, because mm -hmm. dude, there's all these in, in insurance, I've been in solar for a while now, and there's hundreds and hundreds of companies where you could go there and, you know, you're making freaking 500 bucks a sale, for example, and you think that's good. But then you come across this, these five other vehicles that they're saying, dude, you know, we're going to pay you five grand to sale. And then you yeah. all of a sudden you're like, shit, I just went from a freaking Toyota <laughs> to a freaking Ferrari and I didn't even know it. And it's just, it goes right back to your point. You got to make sure you're, you're finding the right opportunity. And that goes back to what we were talking about earlier with the connections and, the, and networking, because you don't have to make yeah. those mistakes if you, if you, you know, you have the, the right circles of people who will direct you in the right area. Well, I mean, that's exactly it, 100%. You know, the other thing I'll tell you is don't discount your value. Uh, people always ask me if they can get a discount on my coaching services. And I say, absolutely not. The price is what it is. I said, the reason it's the price that it is is because price is always an issue in the absence of value. And I know the value I bring and I know the value I deliver. If you want to go out and hire another coach, come back to me in six months after you realize that that coach hasn't changed you and hadn't transformed your life, the price that I quote you might be a little bit higher. Uh, and so if you want to get in, get in now because uh, this is your golden opportunity. And I always tell people, don't discount yourself and don't drop your price for the sake of a sale. Because once you do that, people are gonna start taking advantage of you. You should actually raise your prices because of the value you bring to any organization or the value you bring to the relationships that you're building. And so, you know, kind of set the standard as to, this is what I believe I'm worth, and then go out and seek an opportunity so that you can actually be compensated at that level of worth that you perceive in yourself. Now, the problem a lot of people have is they don't see themselves as earning a million dollars a year. They can't see that big yet, and that's fine. But start chipping away and start moving in the direction so that if you're making 80, you find an opportunity where you can make 120. And then once you start making 120, increase the intensity or find something where you can knock it up and make 180 to 200. And then once you start getting to that point, you're like, dude, man, this is getting exciting. I'm making a good living. I'm putting money away. I'm getting a nice little nest egg. And that's when you can really start investing in yourself, hiring coaches or bringing teams together and building a team of people under you so that you can actually ultimately at one point get to a point where you're not just what I call a solopreneur, right? You're now an entrepreneur. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Well, Brad, I really appreciate all your time today. It's been a pleasure. For those it's been great, Eric. For those Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it's been awesome, man. Dropped a ton of knowledge. I'm sure people will, uh, will, will definitely want to check you out. If you want to go uh, check out Brad, follow him at Brad Blazer on uh, Instagram. That's B-R-A-D-B-L-A-Z-A-R. So it's like, it's like Blazer except with an A instead of the E. You get it. That's it. I'm not a four-wheel drive by Chevrolet, and I'm not a Brooks Brothers Navy Blue Blazer. It's B-L-A-Z-A-R. That's right. That's right. So go, go out and follow Brad. 
Thank you for watching another episode of High Energy Ballers. Please go rate, subscribe, and share. And we will see you next time, folks.